Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, welcome if you're joining us online or at one of our physical campuses. This is going to be a special service, and uh, I've been looking forward to it and praying for it uh, for a while. Uh, I think God's going to do some cool stuff coming out of this. But uh, before we jump in, I need to set things up. One thing that you'll notice about me, if you know me, is uh, one of the things that I'm really bad at, that's a really long list, but one of the things that I'm really bad at is noticing things. I am one of the least observant people on the planet, I think, and uh, not so much like people. I kind of notice people pretty well. Uh, I'm really good at noticing noises. I can like hear my cell phone charge. Anyone else can do that? Yeah, kind of. But I'm really bad at noticing physical things. Um, Like when my, uh, we've been married for 15 years, and whenever my wife redecorates a room, or especially when she paints a room a different color, she has to point it out. And so she'll have to come and find me. She could have done it a week ago. I won't notice at all. It could be our bedroom, right? I sleep in there every night. And she'll have to take me by the hand and say, don't you like the color of the wall? And I'll say, it's beautiful, honey. What color was it before? And she'll have to tell me because I have no idea. If you ask me what color my bedroom is now, I have no idea. Uh, The worst example of this was uh, we moved into a new house recently, and we've had the same kitchen table with eight chairs. It's a pretty big table since we were married. Someone gave it to us. And uh, three kids kind of caused some wear on a kitchen table. And so instead of getting a new one, we decided to send it off to get it uh, stripped and to get it repainted and redone and then sent back. And so we've literally had a folding chair, like a card table and folding chairs around it for about six weeks. And my wife texted me the other day and said, hey, never believe it. Our kitchen table and our chairs are back. I'm so excited. They're so beautiful. So I get home later that night and get this. I walk into the kitchen to let our dog out. I look at our grass, it's beautiful. I walk by that table to get a cup of water. I make a snack. I sit down on the couch to watch some TV. I go upstairs an hour later and I see my wife and I'm like, you told me our table's back, right? She said, yeah, I was like, I need to go look at it. And so I had to purposely tell myself to notice that table. Anyone else here like that? No one as bad as me? Yeah, some of you are like that. You know who is really good at noticing? You know who was like the master at noticing everything and every person in their environment? Jesus. Jesus was like the master noticer. If, if you read through the Gospels, there's all these really cool details of him noticing the strangest stuff. One time he's walking out of the temple with tons and tons of people and he notices like a fig tree that should have fruit, but he doesn't. And so he brings his disciples over um, and teaches them a lesson through it. Uh, One time he's walking through a crowd with hundreds of people. And, you know, they're brushing shoulders and brushing arms. But one lady down below his eye level brushes the edge of his garment with her hand and he notices. Or one time him and his disciples are in the temple and there's all these people, hundreds of people, putting their money in the offering plate um, in this huge line. And yet Jesus notices the exact amount that one widow gave. And he brings it to the disciples' attention to teach them a lesson. Jesus noticed stuff. But more than anything, Jesus noticed people. Uh, He noticed people um, that often everyone else overlooked, that everyone else might have even avoided looking at. And he didn't just notice the person 
And all these stories, he notices the needs that this person has. And he tries to meet those needs. There's tons of stories. One time uh, he's walking through Samaria and he's absolutely exhausted because he's gone without water. He's gone without food. He's almost like literally falling over. So he kind of collapses at this well and sends his disciples to go gather some food for him. And while he's there, a woman comes up and offers him some water. And so he takes it and drinks it. But just a normal occurrence. But he notices that woman. And he doesn't just notice that she's there, but he notices that she has a need, that she's just like him, that she's exhausted like he is, but not because of lack of food or water, but she's exhausted because she hasn't, she's been looking for God for decades and decades and has never been able to find him. And instead of just noticing that, he could have just drank the water, said thank you and got up and left. He sits down and has a conversation, which is kind of controversial because with the Samaritan, she's a woman. But through that conversation, he meets her need. He tells her about the God that will ultimately fulfill her, like nothing else she's been running after could ever. Or one time, this is a kind of an unknown story, Jesus is actually preaching a sermon in a synagogue. And I don't know if any of you are public communicators or public speakers, but you don't notice a whole lot when you're up here, like you're just trying to concentrate on not saying something dumb and sticking to your notes. But Jesus, in the middle of a sermon, out of the corner of his eye, he notices this woman that's kind of bent over. She's doubled over, and it's because she's had a back disease or a back ailment caused by an evil spirit for over a decade. And he doesn't just notice it. He actually stops mid-sermon. He just stops what he's saying, gets off the stage, and goes toward that need in order to meet it. And he prays over her, and he heals her, and he introduces her to the God that loves her and can heal more than just her body. Over and over and over, we see Jesus noticing people that other people don't. He notices the hurting people. He notices the messy people. He notices the down and out. He notices those people that are on the edge of the crowd, those people that society has pushed out of the way. He notices the overlooked. And it's almost like he's kind of magnetically drawn to these types of people. They just have a special place in his heart. And I think he was so drawn to them because he understood where they're at. Because he could identify with them. Because strangely, he had like a kinship with them. Um, Isaiah 53, God's speaking through the prophet of Isaiah, of this Jesus that would come one day. Isaiah had no idea who God was talking about, but he explains what the Savior would be like one day. And God says this, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. And there's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. See, Jesus himself experienced those very things as the people that he was most drawn towards. He experienced being shunned. He experienced being hated. Or more often than not, he just experienced going unnoticed or being pushed to the background. You see that all over the Bible, Jesus just has this affinity for people in need and he identifies with them. And what we read about in the New Testament is that we, as his followers, should be the same way. That we should be moved with compassion to move towards people with needs. It's almost like in the Gospels, Jesus is training his disciples. Hey, are you seeing the things that I'm seeing? 
Are you, are you growing in the skill of noticing the down and out, of noticing these people on the margins? In fact, he said in one of his parables, the parable of the sheep and the goats, which you should go back and read, he says the difference between a real Christ follower and one who is a fake Christ follower is not a spiritual experience. It's not wisdom. It's not the fact that, that they can do miracles in his name. What sets apart a true Christ follower is that they act like Jesus. They give someone who's hungry something to eat. They give someone who's down and out something to drink. They care for people when they're sick. They visit people in prison. They, they're drawn towards people that a lot of people avoid. I mean, if you think about it, we who have accepted the truth of the gospel also have a kinship with these people. When you see someone who's begging on the side of the road or when you see a single mom that's just on the end of a rope or when you see a kid in foster care, you hear about these victims of human trafficking, there's something in our heart that's supposed to be drawn to them because they are physically what all of us were spiritually at one point. Milton Vincent says this, like nothing else could ever do, the gospel instills in me a heart for the downcast, the poverty-stricken, and those in need of physical mercies. When I see persons who are materially poor, I instantly feel a kinship with them, for they are physically what I was spiritually when my heart was closed to Christ. Perhaps some of them are in their condition because of sin, but so was I. And the gospel reminds me daily of the spiritual poverty into which I was born and also the staggering generosity of Christ Jesus towards me. And such reminders instill in me both a felt connection to the poor and a deep desire to show them the same generosity that's been lavished on me. I know that a lot of um, people watching online or at all of our campuses, not all of us, but a lot of us live in affluent areas. Again, not all of us. And so a lot of the people that we work with or rub shoulders um, aren't visibly in need of material things. Uh, they aren't what we would consider poor. But... You can be in poverty in different ways. You can be poor materially, but you can also be poor in time, like the single mom who has to work two or three jobs just to make ends meet, and she can't get her grass cut or just do basic things around the house. People could be poor in community. Um, they work so often, or they, they just haven't found a group of friends to fit in, so they haven't felt that love, that connection. They can be poor in acceptance. Maybe they moved here from a different country, and they haven't learned the language yet. They haven't learned the customs, and so they haven't found a group to belong. And a lot of the people that we know, a lot of them, are poor spiritually. They don't know the love that their heavenly Father has for them. So poverty can be all kinds of things, but the problem is a lot of these things go unnoticed. See, that's the trick. To be the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to have the eyes of Jesus. The habit of noticing the needs of people that often go overlooked. And here's why I point all this out. Um, times, they are changing. Um, I don't know if you can look around at culture, but um, 10 years ago, a lot of people would wake up on Sundays and say, honey, let's go try to find a church to belong to. Um, but surveys have shown us that less and less people, people with needs, uh, people that desperately need certain things in their life. Less and less people in general are waking up on the weekends and going church shopping. A decade ago, they did that, but that's not the case anymore. But our vision is still the same as a church, right? It's to reach the triangle and to change the world. And the way we do that is by loving people where they are 
and encouraging them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, for years, that where they are kind of just meant spiritually. If you've never been to church, if you don't like God at all, if you are, you know, a few steps away from the gospel, it doesn't matter where you're at spiritually. We're going to love you. We're going to accept you. We're going to walk beside you. But now I think that where they are also means wherever you are geographically. Like the gospel is too good, right? So if if less and less people are going to come to us, that means that we have to take the gospel to them. And as we near the holidays, what we know is that the needs that people have become even more significant. You may lack money throughout the whole year, but you notice it when there's not a lot of presents underneath the tree. You may lack community for a large part of the year, but when all those holiday meals start happening, it becomes very, very apparent. Or you may um, lack all these material possessions, but around Christmas time when school's let out, parents realize how much they rely on the school system to provide food or to provide just basic things like childcare. And so it's during this time that we as a church receive most of our uh, requests for benevolence or for um, help. And we also know that at the holiday season, it's not just a needy time, but people are also way more open to not just receiving help, but to the things of God, to spiritual things. There's a reason that we pack out so many Christmas Eve services across all of our campuses and online. But the truth is, as we've been thinking about this as a staff There is no way that we can meet every single need that even just comes in via phone or via email. Happens every single year. We would love to meet every single one, but we've never been able to do that. And that's just scratching the surface of all the needs that must exist in Apex and in Raleigh and in Fuquay and in Garner and Northwest Cary and in Morrisville. So as an organization, there is only so much that we can do. But as a church family... (laughs) It's just half the people that call Hope Community Church home, whether online or at one of our physical campuses, took it upon themselves to ask God, hey, what need do you want me to meet? And just half of us met one physical need or one medical need or one relational need or one financial need. That would be exponentially more needs met than we could ever meet as a staff. And so this year, During the holidays, we're still going to do our big stuff. We're still going to do Toy Store. Uh, We're still going to do our Christmas Eve services. But the ask for this weekend is that every single one of you make a plan to do just that. To get creative, uh, to partner with other people, and to make this holiday a season where it's not just, you know, we've learned that we've been, we're made for more, but we want you to take steps into living that made for more sort of life. And so we've actually put together a pretty helpful tool. It's really, really simple, but I think the power of it comes from its simplicity. Um, It's called Your Hope For dot, 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 plan. Yours is going to be a lot more colorful. Uh, We take uh, your tithes and offerings seriously, so we don't print in color around here. But um, it's a really, it's just a three-step tool, and we don't want to, like, insult your intelligence. But a lot of times we have desires And we have dreams and there's stuff that we want to do, but it just takes putting it down on paper to actually make a plan and act on it. And that's what this is. It's just a tool to help you identify the needs around you, plan for how you're going to meet a need, and then plan for how you're going to share the good news or share the love of God through it. And those are the three steps. Step one, see the need. What needs do you see in your family or in your neighborhood or workplace or in your, the circles that you run in? Just write them down or ask God to show them to you. The second step is serve the need. How are you going to put a plan together 
to get this need met. So maybe you see a handicap ramp for an elderly person in your neighborhood. Who do you know has tools? Who do you know um, has some lumber that, that you could use? Or maybe there is a single mom in your home, in your neighborhood, that could uh, utilize some extra groceries for this holiday season. Who do you know works at a grocery store? Uh, do you know an excellent couponer? Uh, what small group do you know can collect some food and get that food ready for them? So you serve that need, and the last step is to share the need. So is there anyone that you could ask to join in with you? Um, or how are you going to share the love of Jesus with them? It could be as simple as inviting them to Christmas Eve service. It could just be saying, hey, God loves me, and I'm changed because of it, and I just want you to know God loves you. It's so simple, but it's powerful. There was a gentleman at the Apex campus that came up to me last weekend after I preached there, and he, did, he wasn't doing this to brag or anything. He actually said, I just want to let you know that we take to heart what you guys say up on stage every single week. And he said that um, he left after last weekend where I talked about that overflow stuff, you know, like being the hands and feet of Jesus. And he said he was driving through his neighborhood, and the neighbor, like two doors down, he noticed that the screen door had fallen off the hinges. He just noticed it. And so he went into his house, he turned on the TV, he laid down on the couch, and he started to take a nap, but God wouldn't get that image of that screen door out of his head. And so he sat up, and he's like, I guess God wants me to fix that. And so he's like, I got an extra 30 minutes. So he got the tools out of his garage, and three hours later, he had that screen door attached back to the house. And he said, but the cool thing was is that, I don't know if he said a few hours or a few days, the neighbor came over and said, hey, I heard you fix my door. And he said, yeah, I did. And he said, I thought the HOA did it, but I heard that you did. Why, why would you do that? And he said, well, I just go to a church, and we believe that, that God's done a lot for us, and we just want to do a lot for other people to show them that sort of love. And the neighbor looked at him and said, if more Christians acted like you, the world would be a different place. Right? So that's our ask. Um, what if every single one of us took this seriously? What if all of our small groups from our middle school and high school, young adult and our adult small groups, what if, what if families sat around the dinner table this week, took out their hope for plan and just talked through it and acted on it? You think we could meet more needs than anything that the Hope Community Church leaders could plan? I think so. And I think Jesus would be glorified because of it. So that's what we're going to do. But right now, I want to hand it over to people that are some of the most passionate people for certain geographic areas that I've ever met. People that are so passionate about Apex and about Garner and about Morrisville and about Raleigh and about Northwest Cary. And so in a moment, if you're watching online, we're going to have Aaron Nelson who kicked off this whole service with you. He's going to come out and explain how, what you guys can do in the online world. But for everyone else at all of our campuses, uh, would you please give a big round of applause uh, to your campus pastor? Well, Chase, thank you so much for that message. Hey, listen, I just wanted to take a moment and speak directly to those of you who are watching online right now at gethope.tv. First of all, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, but you know, I think it's pretty cool, um, this digital platform and kind of this digital age that we live in uh, because it gives us a little bit of control, right? I mean, if you really wanted to right now, you could press pause on this, go and grab a snack, come back and then press play and keep going. If you wanted to, you can, you can go back and listen to Chase's words from just a minute ago and, and listen to him. If you really enjoyed this message, uh, maybe you listen to it again a week or two from now. If you wanted to, you could even put this message on repeat for the next 72 hours. You could fall asleep and wake up with it on repeat over and over and over again. But you know what's crazy? 
with as much control as we have over how much we can hear a message, unless we're willing to step out and to actually take action, nothing changes. You see, we can hear the truths of the Bible as much as we want. We can think about the truths of the Bible as much as we want, but until we go out into our communities and until we actually carry that hope into the world, there's a couple of problems that will still be there. There are homeless people in our communities who still don't have a place to live or food to eat. Maybe a little bit closer to home, there's uh, the elderly couple across the street whose garage is still a mess. And every time you drive by, maybe they have the garage door open and you see it and you just think, man, that's a shame. Somebody should really do something about that. There's still foster kids all across uh, your town who are looking for someone to tell them that they are loved and cared for and accepted. There's young people who are, are lacking mentors and people that speak into their lives and tell them the truth that they are wanted and that they are valued. So here's the thing, we can listen to these truths as much as we want to, but until we get off of the couch and get into the game, nothing changes. So for the next few minutes that we have here together, I just want to talk to, to the three different people who are going to be watching this here at Dot .TV. Uh, maybe you fall into the first category. Maybe you're the normal hope attendee, and for whatever reason, you just didn't make it today. Either you're out on vacation and you still decided to tune in or... Maybe you're one of my people and you just hit the snooze button one too many times. We've all been there before, right? We've all seen that happen. Uh, but if that's you, stay tuned because I want to speak directly to you. Maybe you fall into the second category uh, where you live in the triangle, but online.tv, this has kind of become your campus. Every week you wake up and you turn this thing on and, and this is how you uh, connect to church. And so if that's you, we're super glad that you're here. But we also know that there's a third group of people. And you're not local. Maybe you're somewhere else across the U.S. or maybe even across the world. And first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, but I, here's the thing that I want to know, let you know is true of all three of those groups. One, you live in a broken world. That is a reality. And two, at some point or another, you've probably found yourself feeling overwhelmed by that brokenness. Maybe a few minutes ago when Chase was up here sharing you were overwhelmed by all that you felt like you were being called into. Because you think, man, the world is such a broken place. There's no way that just me, that I could do anything to fix the problems of the world. Well, first of all, let me tell you this. I firmly believe that is a lie from Satan. I don't think there's any truth in that. I believe that God has empowered you uh, with the Holy Spirit to go out into your communities and make change. As a matter of fact, I think that the weight that we feel from the brokenness is God breaking our hearts for the things that breaks his? And God loves us so much that he wouldn't put that inside of you without the means to go out and actually do something about it. So what does that look like? Well, Chase talked about uh, all throughout the Gospels how we see Jesus noticing and serving others. And so I just want to take a moment and zoom in really quickly on one particular story. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 uh, through 34. Because I think Jesus actually gives us a framework in this story for what this looks like. No matter which one of those three categories you fall into, no matter which corner of the world you call your own, Jesus shows us how to notice and serve others. Let's read it together here. Uh, it says that as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called 
what do you want for me to do? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes and instantly they could see. Then they followed him. In our last few minutes here together, all I want to do is take a, a, couple of, uh, take a look at a couple of different observations from this passage to see what it would look like if we applied this stuff to our lives. You see, the first thing I find amazing about this story is, is exactly what Chase talked about earlier. You see, Jesus noticed those who were hurting around him. I think one of the biggest excuses that we make all the time uh, is just that we're too busy, right? Uh, and listen, if this hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. If this hurts your pride, I'm sorry. Uh, but you are not as busy as Jesus was. <laughs> and I know that for a fact because nobody was as busy as Jesus was. Every day when he would open his eyes, there was an, a large crowd waiting to ask him for things. Everywhere he went, there were people not just following him, but asking things of him. And in the middle of this, I love the way that this, that this passage puts it. It says that Jesus felt pity on these two men that were in the crowd. You see, Jesus hearing the cries of those who are hurting around him, it broke his heart. And so I just wanna ask you, what breaks your heart? Let's just, let's just start right there for a second, right? What are the things that you see on the news or that go through your Twitter feed that just grip your heart and, and it breaks you? I'm willing to bet that's the place where you need to start. And then we follow Jesus' model into step number two, and that's identifying what the need is. You know, I think the thing that's hilarious <laughs> about this story is that, uh, you know, there's the, the blind men and they're sitting there and they cry out to Jesus and everybody else tells them to be quiet. And then eventually Jesus looks at them and he goes, what do you want me to do? And I would imagine that even this loud crowd, in that crowd, you could probably hear a pin drop. <laughs> I'm sure that these two blind men who they can't even see, I'm sure their eyes got big and they probably turned to each other and go, what do you mean, what do we need? I think the need is pretty obvious, Jesus. But you know what I think Jesus uh, was really tapping into here? You see, he could have assumed their need, but Jesus recognized that he was capable of doing so much more than even they, than they imagined. So, so I think the question that Jesus was really asking them was, hey, listen, I know you actually probably need a lot. Where do you want me to start? And that's the question I think we should all be asking. Listen, I can't, I can't do it all. I can't fix everything, but where should I start? And I think that starting is half the battle for a lot of us. I think getting off of the starting block is the thing that keeps us from moving forward. And so for you, maybe starting is a small step, like emailing your kid's school and just saying, hey, where can I help? Maybe it's as simple as walking out of your house and going a few feet over to the neighbor's door and knocking and saying, hey, listen, I've been in this neighborhood for two or three years. We've never met each other. What's your name? <laughs> because in starting that conversation, you open the door for an opportunity to learn who they are, what they care about, and what needs may arise in their life. You see, uh, one of the biggest tricks that Satan tries to get us as the church to fall for is sticking our heads in the sands of convenience and saying, oh, well, well, just, just take it easy. There's a problem. Somebody will get to it. But no, listen, as a church, we are called not to stay asleep, but instead to wake up and to see the needs of those who are hurting around us so that we can see the opportunities to serve them with eyes wide open. And then finally, once, once Jesus, he, he realized what was breaking his heart, once he identified what the need was, he did this one. He, he met those needs. Now, 
I realize that in this story, it can be a little bit intimidating because you say, man, Jesus just healed some blind guys. I don't know if I could walk out of my house today and go heal some blind guys, but can I tell you something? There may not be people who are physically blind around you, but there are people around you who can't see hope. They can't see where their next meal is gonna come from. They can't see where the rent is gonna come from this month. They are people who can't see that there's something bigger for them than their circumstances. And guess what? This is the opportunity that we as a church have to come and say, listen, you may have not been able to see it before, but I wanna shift your eyes to a father who loves you and cares about you. And guess what? You know how I know that he sees you? Because he sent me over here. And I wanted to step in to say, man, how can I serve you? So you're probably wondering, okay, well, what do we do next? Let me speak to those three people that we were talking about earlier, right? For those of you who normally call Hope home for whatever whatever reason you aren't here this weekend, right now at all of our campuses, uh, your campus pastor is sharing tangible ways that your campus can reach out into your community. And so the first thing I would say is the next time you're back in one of our physical campuses, go over to someone on staff and say, hey, what, what are we doing? What are we doing and how can I help? If you're one of our Apex peeps, come find me. I'm hanging out with middle schoolers. I would love to fill you in. But for all of our campuses, you can also head over to gethope.net slash hope4 to figure out exactly what your campus is doing. Now, if you're in the triangle, uh, but you only watch online, I think for you, your next step could be uh, just to show up at a physical campus. You see, every time that Jesus invited someone into his mission of changing the world, he's talking to a crowd. He's talking to a large group of people because he's saying, listen, I'm not going to single you out and say, go do this thing. He's saying, no, as a family and as a community, go out together. And so maybe it just starts with you uh, eliminating some of that overwhelmed feeling of it's just me and instead partnering with two or three or five or 10 people from your campus to say, hey, what can we do to bring hope to our communities? And then finally, if you're, if you're somewhere else around the world and maybe you're outside of North Carolina watching this, there are two places I want to point you to. Uh, the first is dosomething.org and the other one is volunteermatch.org. These are amazing websites that you can go to to figure out the needs in your community and you can start there. But for you, I would say this, make yourself aware of where the needs are. Maybe it's as simple as researching the homeless population in your neighborhood. Maybe it's as simple as a phone call to to town hall or to, to your local government to figure out, hey, where are we hurting as a people? I would say start there and then see where God leads you. Listen, wherever you are, there's a need. And wherever you are, there's a place for you to bring hope into that community by shining the light of Jesus to all who are in need. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for this invitation that none of us deserves. We're thankful uh, for the way that you call us into more. God, we've been talking for weeks about how each and every one of us were made for something more, but God, help us to actually start living for something more. Show us those who are hurting and broken around us. God, lead us in love. Lead us into our communities with a mission the same way that you led Jesus to the cross. How can we deny ourselves and serve those around us? Lord, we believe uh, that, that you will reveal those things to us. But we also believe that your Holy Spirit will give us everything that we need and you will fill us in the places where we feel like we lack 
in order to serve children who you love. Father, we ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.